When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Connor Boyle here from Intelligence Squared. Today on the podcast, we have the latest episode of The Futureverse, a podcast from Intelligence Squared and Ytree. Our host is Ytree's head of brand and marketing, Harriet Johnston. Harriet is joined by former barrister, author, and podcaster, Adam Pacifico, for a conversation about what it means to be truly successful. Here's Harriet with more. Welcome to this episode of The Futureverse, brought to you by Intelligence Squared and Ytree. I'm Harriet Johnston, Ytree's Head of Brand and Marketing, and I'm hosting a series of Futureverse episodes in which we dig into topics that are closely related to Ytree's central purpose. That is, to build a world where wealth is defined by how we live, not what we own. And to get there, we're going to transform personal finance by giving transparency, efficiency, and meaning back to money. Today, we're introducing a new theme in the Futureverse, the meaning of success. Over the coming weeks, we'll be talking to two trailblazing women, Debbie Waskow and Sharmadine Reed, about what it means to successfully combine business with motherhood. And we'll hear from a productivity guru on their tips for living a happy and productive life. But today, we're going to unpack a notoriously thorny question. What does success mean? To help me get to the bottom of this, I'm joined by Adam Pacifico. Adam is a former barrister, author, opinion columnist, and host of the Leadership Enigma podcast, on which he interviews highly successful individuals from all walks of life. He co-authored The Leader's Secret Code and is an opinion columnist for CEO World. Adam, welcome to the Future First podcast. Thank you very much, Harriet. It's a Pleasure to be talking to you. Well, let's start at the beginning. Can you tell our listeners a bit about your own career story and journey? Sure. It's a little bit eclectic or, dare I say, strange. So I started my professional life as a young barrister, as you alluded to, and I prosecuted and defended in the criminal courts for about four years. But then, strangely, I went out for a pint of milk, and the next thing I knew, I had joined the Metropolitan Police. Yes, as a police officer, something my mother never quite understood, bless her. Uh, I became an operational officer. I did just under two years in uniform on the streets of North London, and this is in the 90s, so it was quite fruity at that time. And then I spent four years on the covert teams, which was great fun. So with the robbery unit, the gang unit, and then the, the undercover narcotics team as well. So it sounds kind of great fun, and it was great fun, and a lot of learning took place without a doubt. And then I went back to the bar, and without a shadow of a doubt, I became a better prosecutor. I really understood, perhaps, you know, what went on on the mean streets of London and how that could be translated before judge and jury. So that was a great help. None of this was planned, Harriet. I must admit, it was almost as opportunity came up, I decided to grab opportunity. But long story short, I had been, in many ways, immersed in a way of learning, which is experiential, whether I was in a mock courtroom or whether I was having petrol bombs thrown on my head as part of public order training. And I was asked if I could take some of that learning into the corporate world and bring that kind of cutting edge and high impact learning. We started to do that. 
So I spent four years as the managing director of one of the big US business schools and really started to hone in on leadership development. And then I've worked with small boutiques, Indian ed techs and, and large consultancy. But I have an absolute passion now for all things leaders and leadership. So perhaps all roads were inevitably going to go to this place. And you say I wrote a book, I uh, host a podcast, and that's because I'm insatiably curious and I have no answers. So I'm <laughs> going to do my jolly best for you today, Harriet. Wonderful. May I ask, just on what you've just described there, there's a very interesting, obviously, there's a very close connection. Presumably, you were a criminal barrister. So there's a very close connection between the police and the barrister. But if I may be so bold, in terms of sort of status, people would often consider perhaps a barrister to be a sort of high status role. And perhaps we aren't always as generous in, in, in how we see the police. So that's quite fascinating to me that you, you made that when we're thinking about success, you made that conscious choice to change status, as it were. What does that mean to you? Do you know what? That's an interesting one. And I think it's only later in life did I realize the status that may go with the the barrister title and also the privilege of being allowed or, or, or being qualified to go to the Intercourt School of Law and do all of the strange things that one does in order to qualify as a barrister. The Intercourt in some ways feels like Hogwarts. And I was chatting to actually one of my guests who's a King's Counsel and in some ways we were reminiscing and I have to check myself sometimes and just remind myself of, of that experience. But interesting when you talk about status, I think at that early age for me, I was focused on experiences, and I've always been passionate about different experiences. And going into court, prosecuting and defending before judge and jury was certainly an experience, but also being an operational police officer was an experience. And I perhaps never felt a stronger sense of purpose, Harriet, than I did when I was an operational police officer, because you're dealing with real extremes in life and let's be honest people are only really going to call the police when something is dramatically wrong or sometimes dramatically funny but normally dramatically wrong so that's interesting you talk about status and I think I had to perhaps deal with that without realizing it when I joined the police because no one understood why a barrister would become a police officer and no word of lie I was and I think you're a journalist aren't you Harriet you're You'll understand this. I was asked a couple of times, are you here for the Cook Report? Do you remember the Cook Report? I do. And that was investigative journalism at the time. And so there was a, a modicum of suspicion, might I say, in relation to why, why would you do this? Why would you change careers and, and become a police officer? But I think through hard graft and just getting on with it and proving one's worth, that was okay. So interesting. You talk about status, but I think for me, the, the focus there was on experience. Yeah, so I think we're seeing here maybe one of the core ingredients of your personal definition of success, which I, I'm guessing probably is about what you gain through the through your life experience. In fact, on your own podcast, I've heard you refer often to your fascination and, and with the human being rather than the human doing. And, and I certainly can relate to that myself as a practicing yogi and meditator. I, I'm all about the being. So, what do you think? Really, now, when you think about the leadership enigma, your interviews with your guests about leadership, what have you learned about success personally through interviewing others? You know, that's a great question. And, and I really wanted to think about this, you know, in preparation for this. I've spoken to now, I think, over 165 people. And it is a real privilege to look under the bonnet and have a deeply personal and sometimes intimate conversation with people. I think personally, I've really started to zone in, and you've already mentioned this, on the, on the human being 
over the human doing. So many of my guests come on the show and they've achieved incredible things in, in all kinds of sectors and all kinds of disciplines. But there's a philosophical side of me that says, you know, success is all about peace and contentment. And success is something that I think we visit and revisit throughout our lives. It's not an end point. Otherwise, we'd never enjoy the journey. And we know, don't we, that with the best intentions in the world, what we hope will be an outcome is never normally the outcome. It'll always change in some way. So I think when I'm talking to my guests, I think when I start to uncover success for them, it's continual throughout the experiences they have in life. And I think it's a combination of things such as their values and their priorities, which is normally made up of experiences that they've had. Certainly achievements, we are always trying to achieve something in some ways to, to strive. Maybe impact as well. I, I've dug a lot into impact to what I would describe as being a force for good, not only on an individual level, but on an organizational level. You know, what is the impact we want to have on those that we lead and the impact that we really want to have on the world? And I think a lot of large organizations are being asked that a lot now. What is your force for good beyond a product or service? And I think there's also an interesting element of lifestyle. And I know this taps in very much to what Whitetree are doing about what is the lifestyle that one wants. And again, that's not just about having something that really I think is, is how one wants to live and the experiences that you have. And certainly there's also an element of relationships. How do we really connect with our family and our friends and our community and our customers? So those are some of the components that I hear a lot I think, from my guests in different ways. And, you know, if we talk about certain guests, I can give you certain examples, but it's normally a bit of a a meandering conversation around some of those themes. Now, if I was listening to us, Adam, if I was the audience, I would be saying, but what about the money? Because, I mean, we have to be honest, don't we? We we know that money's kind of often associated with success, rightly or wrongly. And while Kahneman, his his theory that, you know, there was a happiness plateau once you hit an annual household income of X, I think it's actually been, it's been debunked this year, which is interesting, isn't it? So I wonder what your view is on the relationship between money, success, happiness. Do you know what? I've also had the privilege of traveling all over the world. And I think in some ways, we are programmed perhaps in in a Western way in relation to how we perceive money, how we grow up in relation to getting a good job in order to be able to thrive and survive financially. You've only got to look at social media, haven't you? I've got two teenage kids in relation to buying things and the tangible things. And you think of some of the influences who are out there at the moment in relation to, you know, your achievement is measured by, I don't know, how many cars, how many boats, how many houses, etc. And some might consider that slightly vulgar, but let's be honest, in relation to finances, they're absolutely important in relation to making sure that we can meet our needs, making sure that we can have a roof over our head, making sure that we can have access to medical care, making sure that we can do the very best for our children, making sure we have a lifestyle that we choose we want to have. But I think one of the biggest questions for so many of my guests and for everyone, for you and I as well, Harry, is what does success look like? I mean, is that a finite number? It's probably not. It's probably an amalgam of all those things that I spoke about earlier. And, you know, there is that cliche, isn't there, that money can't buy you happiness. Well, let's be honest, to a degree it can because it can give you those basic needs. And I think one of the things, you know, I I go back to one of the trips I had to in Rwanda where I was in some of the rural townships there where, Harriet, they literally have nothing. 
nothing whatsoever. And it is in stark contrast to how we live and how we work here in, the, the, in Europe. And when I think about some of those experiences, they had absolutely no resources whatsoever, but they had phenomenal resourcefulness. And what I also noticed was just how happy they were, how content they were with their life. And that was a very humbling experience. And it was a very humbling experience for the group of executives that we've taken out as well. So again, I'm meandering in the answer, but I think there is some truth in relation to money buys happiness because money buys those basic needs that we all must have or desire. But certainly, I don't think having a monetary value as in life must equal X probably doesn't give a great deal of happiness to many. I hear you. As society is evolving, and we're sort of, we've sort of touched on that a bit without going too far into sort of the evils of celebrity culture and, you know, the constant consumer messages we're all receiving all day, every day, our definitions of success are changing. What do you think are some emerging trends or shifts you've observed in how people are approaching success, specifically the, the leaders that you talk to? Have you noticed a shift since you started working with corporates? I think there's been a big shift in relation to now purpose, individual pur purpose and personal purpose, and just how much of an attraction that is to the younger generation who are coming through. In many ways, I think the pandemic has something to do with that. There's a wonderful phrase that if you press the pause button on a computer, it stops. But if you press the pause button on a human being, that's when we start to think. And without a shadow of a doubt, the pandemic pressed the big red pause button on everybody. And I think everyone really started to think. You know, I spoke to now three CEOs who independently have used a phrase with me, and they said it's time to take the mask off. And this was in relation to vulnerability and openness. But I'm having more and more conversations now with businesses that talk about purpose, talk about impact, and talk about a force for good. And Harriet, that is way beyond just any product or service that they may be trying to supply in, in order to you know, generate revenue and make a living and, and keep the lights on. And I'll give you one example. I, I spoke to the wonderful Carol Kaufman, who is Harvard faculty. Mar Marshall Goldsmith suggests she is the number one executive coach in the world. And it was a delight to speak to her. But she, she spoke very passionately and very eloquently about personal purpose and about how that would drive her and how that would be in some ways her North Star to measure her success on a day-to-day -day basis. Working with some of the most powerful and iconic CEOs in the world. And I remember she actually said to me, and I had to really make a note of this. This was the trial lawyer in me, and I, I wrote it down. She actually described her purpose as being the conduit of joy, a sword of truth, where she would care for and challenge the power, powerful to galvanize their goodness in order to change the world. I was blown away when I heard that because it was such an eloquent and well thought through purpose that for her was a guide in relation to was she being successful in each and every coaching engagement that she had. And for her, it was about creating better people because that would radiate throughout the organization and have such a huge impact. Uh, and so, so that's one example of the focus that I hear again and again on personal and organizational purpose now. And the world, let's be honest, that's gone slightly mad. I love that because that's a really practical way, isn't it, to kind of make yourself a roadmap for success. If you can 
sit down and really think through what your personal purpose is. Another way of describing it might be to say your personal brand, just because obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I love brands. So your per what is your personal brand, your personal kind of roadmap to success? That's something we can all actually sit down and wrestle with. And, and perhaps from that, give ourselves the freedom to really move towards success from our own values, from our own perspectives, our own unique perspectives. There's a link there, isn't it? And there was one guest who said to me, if you're not proactively working on your personal brand, then someone else is probably doing it for you and you may not like the results. So again, it's that deliberateness that's, that's really required from all of us and from leaders in relation to, as you say, what is that brand and what is that purpose? So the successful people who, who you've interviewed, have you found over time that they exhibit similar traits? I think I'm probably deliberately digging around the human-centered piece because that's something that I'm passionate about in relation to experiences that, that I've had. And I actually think it's a bit of the leadership superpower right now. If you think about it, we've all got our expertise, we've all got our skills, we've all got our academics, and I'm not in any way downplaying that. You know, I spent a lot of time making sure I was confident and competent in order to qualify as a lawyer. But for so many senior and specialist people that I work with, I actually say those are table stakes. What is really going to be the differentiator now is the ability to be truly human-centered. And again, I think that was magnified by the pandemic. We're having to connect, reconnect, and stay connected with people on a level that perhaps we hadn't experienced or we hadn't really deliberately thought about pre-pandemic. So I'm digging around for that, Harriet. Now I'm asking people questions in relation to trying to understand their ability to be vigilant, curious, empathetic, inclusive, to have a strong personal purpose that in some ways is visionary for other people in order for to be followed as a leader. So I'm digging around that area all the time around the human-centered side, not in relation to, in some ways, what people have acquired. So I, again, it's all about the experience side of things. And I've got many examples of when I've spoken to guests who are uh, on the face of it, highly successful, maybe have all the trappings that one might consider with being a success. But most of their stories and most of their recollections when I'm chatting to them are really about the human-centered side of things and what it's really meant to them on a, on a human being level. Okay. So what I guess what you're saying there is that there, the success is kind of irrelevant almost to you in terms of your conversations. You're really wanting to connect with what their experience was throughout their success. So I, I know I've listened to some, to some of your to some of your interviews, and it's almost like you, you're putting the success on one side, and you're talking to the person who's been the kind of carried along through that journey. Yeah, I mean, the success for many of us is the CV, and, and that's in some ways a simplistic way of saying, look, here's what we've achieved. And don't get me wrong, I've always wanted to achieve in my life, and I've been guilty sometimes of over rotating on seeking external validation. And in many ways, I've got to look internally, not externally. And there's so many great examples. I mean, you're, you might remember I chatted to Stuart Pearce, who is an iconic from a footballing perspective. He was captain of England, played in many of the iconic tournaments. He was a manager as well. He's a pundit. He's a coach. And he came on the show and talked about the failure that we might all remember in Italia 90, when England 
were put out in the semi-final against Germany and he missed one of the penalties and that is always something that he's spoken about and he's always asked questions about bless him that missed penalty but actually out of that failure but some might say he's a success he's one of the world's best footballers playing on the world stage out of that failure he actually talked about something very passionately and that was humility because after they lost that match he got called in for a drugs test he sat in the the room there waiting to do a drugs test with two of the german players and he recalls that they had just won the match germany and they sat in absolute silence he was blown away by their humility and allowing him just to sit in the fact that he had been defeated. And that never left him. And even though that game we all remember on the world stage is something we lost, he remembers that game for the humility that he was taught, which actually he then showed when he went back into an international competition and beat Spain, and everyone is celebrating around the Spanish players, and he remembered that lesson of humility. So for me, that's evidence of success in, in the where we are looking at the experiences that we have and we're turning those into life lessons. And that is a success. And that's what I mean by success is something that we visit and revisit all the time. And I think it also changes as we go through the different age groups as well. And then when families become part and parcel of it, then again, that changes too. So that's just one example. Thank you. Just to, to, to bring us to a close, what do you, what do you think the younger generation just thinking there about our, our different attitudes as as we age as we inevitably age what would your advice be to someone trying to work out what success means to them well i think success if you think about it could be really broken up if we're going to be formulaic about it we could break it up into career and personal and you can think about things objectively and subjectively what do i mean by that career might be job title and salary personal might be those achievements that we have or community involvement that's the objective element around the two and then there's the subjective piece in relation to how much do we actually enjoy our work how much do we feel purposeful in our work and pride in the accomplishments and if we think about the subjective element of our personal life well let's think about being happily married or having well-adjusted children and the, you know our kids all struggle perhaps through the pandemic so Maybe the younger generation in some ways may want to think, well, hang on, what do I want for myself, career and personal life in, in a, an objective and a subjective way? But I think without a doubt, and I had four young leaders come into the studio, and we called it the Voices of Future Leaders. And what I was hearing loud and clear from them was, again, this focus on impact and purpose. But it was also a focus on they really want to be seen and heard. They really want their voice to be heard at the most senior levels because they have something very valid to bring to the table now. And that was an interesting, and I, I have reflected, I had a former commander of the UK Allied Forces in only yesterday, and he talked about the fact that they focus quite deliberately on leadership very early age. He went to Sandhurst, he's 21, 22, comes out, he's therefore a leader of men who are far wiser, far older, much more experienced. And so there was an interesting reflection from us in relation to why in a corporate world do we not talk about leadership at a very early start within someone's career at a business as opposed to something that is just maybe only for those who are more senior a long way down the line. So I'm hoping that that may well actually be part and parcel of the future of those coming through any organizations now is that they are leaders and early age and we have to take every advantage in making sure that they have the platform to thrive and 
and, and survive within our organisations. Thank you so much, Adam. I really, really have enjoyed this conversation. If, if there's one more thing that you would want our audience to remember or take away when they think about leadership more broadly or success, what would that be? Well, do you know what? I'd go back to something that was said to me by my mentor who unfortunately passed away, but he had left a massive mark on me. I remember I got my first leadership role as a young lawyer many moons ago, and he was one of the first people that I told. Congratulations, he said. But then he said something else to me. He said this. He said, remember, the children of the people you lead know your name. In what context is up to you? That's never left me. The children of the people you lead know your name. In what context is up to you? And it's great. Whenever I talk to live audiences, I always say, who's got children? They put hands up and I say, come on, be honest with me. Your kids know your boss's name, don't you? And everyone suddenly looks at their laces. Because it's just, that's how it is. Leadership is deeply personal. So I'll leave you with that. Adam, thank you so much for coming on the Futureverse podcast. And if any of the issues we've discussed in today's episode piqued your interest, please visit y-tree.com to find out more about Ytree and the work they're doing to provide an alternative perspective on money and life. And follow the podcast wherever you listen. Thanks for listening to Intelligence Squared Business. This episode was produced and edited by Isabella Soames. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you think we should be talking about next, who we should have on and what our future debates should be. Send us an email or a voice note now to podcasts at intelligencesquared.com. And for more information about Ytree, visit y-tree.com. And for more episodes of the Futureverse, search Futureverse wherever you get your podcasts.